This week on A Little Cerebral, we talked to Cassie. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, She's a mom. She works in the schools. Um, She just has a lot of forethought into how to help advocate for your child if your child Mm -hmm. has a different need. Cassie also has uh, cerebral palsy. And she just has a really great perspective on kind of everything. Super fun to talk to. She is the very definition of resilience. And I love our conversation and how she talked about how to build resilience in your child if they have a disability, how to push for inclusion and advocate. She is amazing. You should definitely listen to her. You should definitely listen. I lied. There's really no buried treasure at the end, but you should listen because it's a good episode. (laughs) Nailed it. Yeah. Matthew, are you proud of us? Matthew, you should be proud of us. We did a great job. Yeah. 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 Welcome to A Little Cerebral from A Little Cerebral Studios in Colorado in our Western uh, Mountain West Division and in (laughs) Vermont in our Northeast Division. And we've had some major studio upgrades. We have. Actually, mine's more of a parallel. Mine actually might be a decrease from last week. So I started out outside, which was, you know, a little bit iffy depending on the animals that visited me. And the lighting, the lighting was fairly bad because I could never figure out how to turn on the porch light. Um, so usually it was black on my end, which is fine. And then um, I did move inside. Uh, and that last week, that was a huge upgrade. And I did have my own desk. And then this um, episode is a little bit of a downgrade because I am in an open space studio, we will say. So there's actually no real walls. And my computer is not balanced necessarily on a desk more so it's balanced on um, a big cardboard box my kids are using to play in. Like I said, I'm sort of like in a parallel direction. Perhaps I might have actually downgraded a little bit. But Claire, you're a definite upgrade. Last week, Claire was under a (laughs) very modern looking shelf. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I have advanced through the decades. To modern times in my office. I don't have a 70s <laughs> door behind me, nor do I have an 80s mahogany dresser. Um, I Which have to- I have to say, I do actually kind of miss. Cool. I've, I took a picture so I can. I oh, can good. I have a lot less things to like make fun of you about in this like, you know, very typical studio space. <laughs> oh, well, I'll give you a few things. So if you can see, let's see, behind me, well, there are my books. And uh, the yellow, that yellow is not a block of cheese. That is my um, National Geographic collection. And then I have things that are my treasures from the mountains. The National Geographic collection from like what, from what years? Modern times. Like, like the 60s through like, I mean, does National Geographic still make like physical magazines? Oh, yeah. I, still, I was getting them up until like a couple months ago. Hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. And so, yeah, those are modern. Um, and then the things I found on the mountain, you can kind of see there's like an <laughs> antler over there. And then I have like some bones I found and I found some rocks like, that were cool. Some, some, some mouse poops, just to no, remind you of your mouse story. No, <laughs> no I bury the mice um, yeah. and, the, and the mouse undertaker, remember? And then um, just some very welcoming decor. So if I walked into your studio and I was like, oh, bones, cool. Yeah, all right. I get it. Exactly. All right. Sorry. But enough about me and my office. Let's talk about our guest. <laughs> yeah, so we have um, this really amazing mom on 
with us tonight who is going to uh, talk about and perhaps, you know, shed some light on what it is um, like in terms of being a parent um, who has a, a disability and sh just sharing experience, uh, some experience growing up and then, um, you know, talking about now being a parent. And I think it's really helpful for just other parents to hear that perspective because it's not something that Claire and I have talked about. Um, you know, we've really focused on uh, talking about parents who have children with special needs, but not any parents who have um, like a visible or invisible disability and kind of how that plays into raising, you know, a child or interacting with other parents or even just advocating for your own child in the perspective around that. So welcome, Cassie. Thanks. Um, I just want to add to the office discussion. Yes. Do oh. either of you have an ironing board in your office? Oh, man. Oh, you win. See, yeah. I'm just saying. You get the best office. The only right. way that would be better if, is if the ironing board was down. Right, right. I've got a little more class than that, but <laughs> anyway. Make a desk. What if it doubled as a desk? That would be even better. You know, that yeah. would be, I should. I, I kind of wish you were using that as a desk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, okay, do you want me to just introduce myself then? Yes, yes please. Talk about, your, talk about your social media too. Tell us about your Instagram and YouTube channel and everything. Yeah, okay. please do that. Perfect. So uh, my name is Cassie. I am 34 years old. I live in just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I have been married for almost five years and I have a little 18 month old little girl, which you might see. Um, anyway, I was born with cerebral palsy. Um, and how that happened was I was born 10 weeks early. And so my lungs were not, in the 80s, uh, they actually didn't have the medicine. It's called surfactin. Oh. And that was actually developed uh, one month after I was born. But they use that medicine for people who are doing preterm labor to give, uh, develop their, their lungs more. So anyway, they didn't have that. And so my lungs weren't developed and my brain didn't get enough oxygen to it. And so um, I have cerebral palsy, which um, there's different levels, different kinds, different levels of severity. And I would consider myself medium. It affects me most physically. Uh, I wobble. I walk like a penguin, as I like to say. And I fall down sometimes. Um, if you want to learn more about like my story and what I do and pregnancy, parenthood, I, I'm very much big on if I have a disability, I might as well use it to teach people. Um, so I have Twitter, I have Instagram, I have YouTube, Facebook. So my YouTube channel is called Wheeling Through Life. Um, my Instagram is just Cassie Davis 15. My Twitter is Cassie B Davis 15. And then I have a Facebook page wheeling through life. So Facebook and YouTube are the same. And then Instagram and Twitter are the same. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Thanks so much for the introduction. Uh -huh. And yes, please everybody check out um, like Cassie's Instagram and everything that yeah. she just mentioned, because it is, uh, you know, great to have somebody like you. I think anybody who puts themselves out there and to be vulnerable in that way 
Um, it takes a lot of a lot of courage, and then on top of that, just adding so much awareness into what it is like in the life of someone who has a cerebral palsy diagnosis, because I think like with anything, and I think we'll talk about this, there's a lot of diagnosis and stigmas, someone who has a diagnosis of cerebral palsy, because when we don't talk about it, um, you know, there's a lot of stigma that's attached. So like when you don't know something, then, uh, you know, you might have like a fear around it, or you might have a negative connotation around it when, you know, that really isn't necessary at all or true. So it's just about more education. Um, which I think you're doing an amazing job with. So, um, yeah, so we're going to ask you some, some, just some questions, uh, Cassie. And one of the first ones is, you know, I, I wanted to hear a little bit about how, um, what your experience was when you were growing up as a child with a cerebral palsy diagnosis and, and what kind of your parents, um, how they advocated for you and your takeaways from that. Um, and if there's anybody, you know, else, that you knew um, who may or may not have had a very similar experience and how you could see, you know, that shaping uh, kind of developmentally either way based on like environmental experiences and support systems. Right. So, and I feel bad that my parents aren't here um, because they're rock stars and you should interview them. I think that would be awesome. But my parents started advocating for me even before I was born, like, cause my mom went into the hospital and she was hemorrhaging. And so they knew that she was going to have the baby and it was too early. And she would say, save my, save the baby. Don't save me. You know, that type of thing. So even from like the very beginning, they were advocating for me and growing up with a disability, I didn't even realize that I was different until I went to school because I wasn't treated any different. Um, And you have to start with the resources as soon as you can. Two, three, four, um, get your child in occupational therapy, physical therapy, get them, um, you know, into the school system. And that's your, that's probably your biggest thing to do as a parent is advocate for your child because people aren't going to advocate they they want to take the easy way out they want to do the easiest thing and having a child with a disability is not easy and so that you're just it's just not going to be easy so you need to figure out what you want for your child and then stand up for them there was an example of when i was going to go into a new school i think i was going to be in first or second grade and we could choose between two different schools and we went to the one school and my mom said well where's my daughter going to play because this playground is not handicap accessible and they said oh well she's going to have to play with the kindergartners on this special playground it'll be at a different time with all the other kids and my mom wasn't having it And she's like, "Mm, no, thanks. Uh, And then she asked them too, like, when you go into the bathrooms, you have the big heavy doors and then you have the stalls. And she asked the school if they would remove the doors because they're too heavy for me. And they said no. And my mom was furious. And I'm sure in her mind, she was thinking, that probably wasn't the best answer because I'm mama bear and you're going to get in trouble type thing. Um, so we went to the other school and they were so much more accommodating. They took the doors off. They let me play. 
they got some special equipment so I could play on the same playground. They talked to the teachers about letting me go to the bathroom whenever I needed to, like all of those things. And it was all because of my mom. And I, I mean, I was born in the late 80s, so I was only like four when it was 90. But knowing what I know now, no resources really existed back in the 80s as much as they should have. Right. And I mean, and so the Americans with Disabilities Act happened well before the 80s, though. So like what that school was doing, I just want to be clear that that wasn't legal. And um, but I guess, you know, so they weren't doing what, you know, they weren't following the law. I guess the big piece is the enforcement, right? Like, so back mm -hmm. then you maybe you got away with it. Right. And I think too, even, even with like jobs, um, people are going to use the term, well, if, if they're not able to adapt and work with an adaption, then we don't have to give them the job. And I feel like sometimes the schools were the same way, like, well, we're adapting. She has to go to this playground. And if she doesn't like that, then too bad. And I think that's where people might get a little bit, you know, mixed up is, well, we just have to make accommodations when that's not necessarily the only law you have to follow. Growing up, what do you think your parents did that maybe helped you to feel more confident or more capable in the world? And did you see differences with how other kids maybe who also had CP were raised? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my parents were very much like, like I said, I didn't know I was disabled until I went to school because I was treated normal. So I, I had chores just like everybody else. Um, I got in trouble just like everybody else. I think if you were to ask my siblings, they might say something different. <laughs> but um, so it was very much if you want to do that and you can't do it, then let's figure out a way that you can do it. Um, so I wanted to play softball. Um, so my dad put together a team because nobody would take me on the team. So my dad coached a team. Uh, he would hold me at home plate while I pretended to swing the bat and hoped that I would hit the ball. And then my dad would pick me up and run me from base to base to base. Did we ever win any games? No. Were we cheating? Absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> my dad wanted to prove that I could do whatever I wanted. And it's interesting. I had a really good friend who had the same disability, about the same level as me. And sh she was just completely different because her parents, it seemed from my perspective, that they uh, so believed that there were things she couldn't do. They, they treated her differently. They coddled her more. They did things for her more. And so in my mind, she was worse than me. And I think she wasn't necessarily, but because of the way that her parents treated her, it stopped her development, I think, a little bit. Yeah, I do think that um, you know, brings up a really good point for parents in terms of how you are, uh, how you perceive your child. And there's, you know, that saying, like, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you can't. So it's uh, for parents, I think it's, it's such a good point of, you know, your child the best. So, you know, 
um, you know, where, what their level can be. And you hold that expectation the highest and you're going to be the one that your child refers to the most. And so it, your opinion matters so, so much, um, you know, to that child. And so I think that like in the OT world, it's called the just right challenge. So you have a challenge that's not too hard. It's not too easy, but you always want to be able to push the skill level, um, just beyond what, that child is capable of. And so I think that's such a good point of if you want your child to be as successful as possible, then treat your child as if they are already successful. Um, so you want them to be able to do something, then treat them as if they are doing that and you know that they're capable. And you really, I think part of it as a parent is really believing that your child can do it. Right. So like having that belief and, um, in them and in yourself as a parent to know that you can kind of coach them through whatever it is too. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we've talked about resilience a few times on the show and I just, the show, every show. <laughs> the show. we're a show now. <laughs> the show. We're, we're, fa- we're on our famous show. Yes, Claire. Okay. On this very famous show, we have talked about resilience a few times. And I mean, I just, I just want to point out that, I mean, the way your parents raised you really shaped you to have a lot of resilience. And, and I think that, you know, so part of it is just the expectation that's communicated, right? Or, but it's not just like, okay, you can go do this. It's giving you what you need to be able to go do the thing you need to do. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is what parents say out loud becomes the internal self-talk of kids. So if your parents are saying, no, you've got this, we just have to change a few things, but you've got it. Then as you, if you hear that over and over again, that becomes your internal self-talk and that becomes your way that you coach yourself through difficult situations and, you know, kind of build on that resilience. I think that's so, so, so important. And, um, yeah, having like parents who are advocates and so really understanding your role as a parent is not only to advocate for your, for your child to your child, um, but also to, like any environment that your child is in, including school, including like sports programs. You know, I love that, that story. Um, and we definitely have to interview your parents because yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I probably would have been a lot better at softball if I had a dad who could swing the bat for me and then carry me around the bases because I was not very good. <laughs> so I, I was probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you probably couldn't be any worse than me. So you got that going for you. <laughs> I was always right field because then they didn't have to worry. And also because of my ADHD, I didn't pay attention. And so then I would, ca- I'm not kidding. So I would cause less problems if I was way out in the field, I wouldn't be like not paying attention. Um, you know, and then somebody would get like the base or whatever. I feel so. like Claire and I have very similar stories. I feel like I got hit in the head a lot. I remember that like getting hit in the head with pitches and like, at least we always had to wear helmets, but, and I remember the helmet was so big because my head was so tiny that whenever mm-hmm. I ran to the base, the helmet would turn around. So I could never see where I was going. And I used to have to wear like one hat forward, one hat backward, and then put the helmet on um, so it would stay in the place. So I had to wear like multiple hat fixtures. Um, and then also a lot of times I had to run with one hand holding the helmet so it wouldn't go around my eyeballs. Anyways, <laughs> I think the takeaway is that I was very good at softball. <laughs> I'm going to switch this story to say the that. the takeaway is that I would be better. We're basically professional softball players. (laughs) And and I think kind of what you were saying before we got on the tangent was, you know, advocate for your kids, but also teach your kids 
to advocate for themselves as they get older because mom and dad aren't always going to be around and so they need to know how to stand up for themselves as well. It's a great tip just for any parent, like regardless if if your child has a diagnosis Mm -hmm. or doesn't, like I think a lot of parents don't necessarily teach um, or it's maybe it's not innate or something. And I, and I, I feel like I have to remind myself this is to teach your children how to advocate for themselves. And I think part of that is under, having the child understand, um, you know, their capabilities and then when, you know, they can ask for help and also being okay with asking for help, but having this sense of like, I can do it. Like Claire said before, like I can do it if I just shift a few things, like I can do this. Yeah, I actually was going to ask a question because so earlier in a conversation, we talked about how sometimes people assumed things, right? Like people would assume things about you without really knowing what you were capable of. And I thought, I mean, it sounded like to me from what you were saying, um, when people were assuming that you couldn't do this, it's like this, it takes away that opportunity for mastery as a child as you're developing. But why don't you speak to that? Like about, you know, assumptions that people maybe make about you and how... You, and how they can be positive or negative or enabling or not enabling. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of that is I'm a social worker. So you might hear some like big words that are like fancy, them. but they're not really. <laughs> we love fancy words. You're in a great place. It's okay. Claire right. like throws out fancy words. Like everybody <laughs> knows what she's talking about. Well, mine won't be that fancy, but it starts with teaching your child positive self-talk, right? Good self-esteem because there are going to be times where your child may not even believe in themselves or have assumptions about their abilities. But if you start in the home by, by teaching them the opposite, then when people are making those assumptions, they'll know to correct them. One of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm in a wheelchair, people talk to me like I'm five. When I'm standing up or when you don't know I'm disabled, I'm treated like an adult. And it just bugs me. Or when you're talking like the person is not there. So they have a caretaker with them and you talk to them instead of the person. Um, Don't assume that somebody can't hear you or understand just because they're not talking. Um, Don't assume that because somebody has to do something in a different way that it's the wrong way or that they're not going to be a good parent. Don't assume that because somebody's in a wheelchair, they shouldn't be a mom. Um, that was hard for me to grasp was, do I deserve to be a mom? Should I, my daughter's not choosing to be born to a handicapped mom. Um, what if I harm the baby? But when you think about it, Everybody, disabled or not, has those same assumptions and fears when they're pregnant. Am I going to be a good mom? What happens if I get sick while I'm pregnant? Or if somebody was like drinking before they knew they were pregnant? There's, you know, that guilt there. And so just don't assume anything. If, If you have a question, ask the question. And if you're nervous about it, ask if you can ask the question. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important, and I and I love the the piece about not talking about people as if they can't understand you just because they're nonverbal or they have limited communication skills. Um, and I find myself just making sure that I that I check this 
um, as an occupational therapist, when I'm in a room with a child and a parent, that I'm not just talking to the parent, that we're not talking about the child in front of them. And it's very easy, I think, to fall into the trap of talking about people who, you, who have difficulty communicating especially or you assume have difficulty communicating and not talking about them or you just assume, sorry, you assume that you can talk about them in front of them and that they will not, like, I don't know, pick up on it or understand or just because they're not actively participating, like, that I don't know what it is. Maybe that you assume that they can't kind of keep up with the conversation or whatever it is. And I think that's such a good reminder for everybody and for, for parents too, if you're going to advocate um, you can even step in if someone is just addressing, you know, the parent or asking questions about, you know, your child um, to you, you can say, well, you can ask, you know, you can ask my child, like he can, he can respond. It might just take a minute or whatever. Like you can advocate for that too, that communication piece. Yeah. And I, I wanted to add that so a lot of people don't realize um, that there's like two parts to speech, right? Like there's receptive and expressive. So expressive is talking and receptive is understanding. And there are many people who have great receptive speech who can't speak. And, and sometimes it's because of mo like motor issues, right? Like apraxia of speech. And so they know what they want to say. They just can't get it out. And so mm -hmm. um, I, I just want to reiterate, if you see somebody with a communication device that enables them to talk, please don't assume that they don't understand what you're saying. If you are somebody with a disability or have a child with a disability, you don't make those assumptions about them either. Don't assume that because you have a disability, you'll never get married. Don't assume that because you have a disability, you can't have kids. Do your research. Um, you know, when I was thinking about having a baby, it was let's talk to a high risk doctor before we even try. Let's get our questions answered. Um, Go look at the resources out there. And if there aren't resources out there, make your own. Like, that's kind of why I started my YouTube channel was because there are a lot of people who have disabilities that are pregnant, but don't, don't record it or whatever. And I wanted to be a resource. So you don't even make those assumptions about yourself. If, if you have questions, Go find the answers before you say you can't do something. And so how did you do that when you were pregnant? What were some of the challenges you faced? How did you find out those answers? What did you do? So my biggest things were, um, what if I fall while I'm pregnant? Am I going to be put on bed rest? Uh, will I have to have a C-section? So those were like the big doctor questions I needed asked. and then. I was, okay, cribs, like, are there handicap, candy accessible cribs, uh, strollers, um, how am I going to get my baby around, like, those questions. So, like I'm saying, you do your research. So, I wrote down, me and my husband wrote down all of those questions and, and found a doctor and asked the questions. And she answered them and she just said, this pregnancy, I'm going to treat as normal until it's not. I did have to have a C-section, but that was not due to my cerebral palsy. That's due to I'm 4'9 and very small, and the baby would have gotten stuck. Um, so, you know, I didn't have to be put on bed rest, but I had to stop working because I was too exhausted. That is another thing. If you are someone that's working and you get sick or you get pregnant, 
you can still get paid without working. You have disability, but I didn't even use my disability. It was, this is an adaption. This is what we can do to help you. I had saved up vacation and sick time. So there are things that companies can do to advocate for you to keep working or keep getting paid. That's just a side note. But anyway, so that like you're saying like a workaround so that you can continue to work despite exhaustion or despite like barriers. Right. At first they were like, um, well, you can just work from your office because I worked in the court system. So we had to go back and forth to court. And so they they were saying like, well, you don't have to go to court or you can uh, work from home or use your wheelchair. This is this is funny. They, they wanted me to use my wheelchair, but they didn't have handicap accessible doors in our building. So I advocated and handicap accessible doors on both buildings. And then, and then I feel bad because then I stopped working. But <laughs> they needed them right. anyway. Somebody else's so, No kidding. Yeah. Right. And people with strollers and everything. And so you have to, you just figure out what you need to do for your situation. And eventually it just was not, I wasn't able to work, but they were able to work with me with my benefits and things so that I could still get paid for three months before my baby came. That's great. Wow, that's awesome though. So, yeah. I yeah. think that, um, gosh, I kind of want you, Cassie, just like as my personal, like I call you up and I'm like, I feel like I need to advocate for something. Or like even for my kids, if I'm like, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> you totally like you totally can. I I'm totally fine. <laughs> we can do a YouTube about how many times Natalie calls me <laughs> with like these inane questions about how to advocate for herself. But I do think it's a skill, um, and perhaps mm-hmm. you know, uh, it seems like you're just you're so natural at it, and I and I I'm wondering just if your experience has helped you kind of develop that skill, like. For me, I feel like in some ways I have had to advocate, but perhaps not in the same way as you or not even the same way as Claire or like we all have these different experiences. And I did have parents who really advocated for me, but I also feel like, you know, it, and, and I feel like for a lot of people, they don't advocate for themselves. Like there's books, you know, there's books and things on this. Right. And to be honest, that's usually not my first reaction either. My first reaction is to call my mom and dad and be like, what do I do? And then my dad says, you get on the phone, you call your boss, and you tell him you need doors. And so they're still kind of like uh, my cheerleaders. Or one time I didn't get hired for a job. They specifically said all over that we're hiring. Um, I went and filled out an application, took it in, and I said, hey, uh, is the manager here? It says to drop off my application and ask for an interview. And he looked me up and down and said, oh, we're not hiring. I, I was curious. So my sister was like, oh, I'll go try. So she goes and she records it because she's like, if they hire me, then we're going to like sue their butts. <laughs> so she goes in and she says, hey, are you guys hiring? And they're like, oh, yeah, here's an application. So she filled it out and she went back and, and she said, is the manager here? And it was the same guy because I told her his name. And she's like, hey, are you guys hiring? And he's like, yeah, when can you start? And she's like, oh, I won't be starting, but you'll be hearing from my lawyer. Like, you know, and then we went, we did go through that whole process of, I don't know what the 
organization it, the equal opportunity people. I think that's what it is. Office of Civil Rights? Or no. Equal opportunity EEOC. Is that okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Anyway, so they said like we can go through, but it was like this whole process and I just didn't want to do it. But like, yeah, I was just taught like stand up for yourself. So I think the older I get, the easier it is, but I'm still calling my parents and being like, do I have the right to fight for this? I mean, the worst that they can say is no. The best mm -hmm. thing that will happen is you make a change. Natalie was talking about how when she was growing up, really what special education looked like in the 80s was you didn't see people with disabilities. So they were kind of off somewhere, right? Like in special ed classroom land and not integrating with the, like, with the rest of the, um, the classroom. And now we do it differently. You know, there's least restrictive environment and you try to have kids included as much as possible. But back then it wasn't that way. And so a lot of us missed out on the opportunity to interact with people with disabilities. And, and, you know, I think that maybe people our age feel uncomfortable sometimes when they see people in wheelchairs or we don't like, it's not something that we're accustomed to because we didn't get that opportunity. Just like, I mean, the people with disabilities didn't get the opportunity mm -hmm. to be included. Right. I mean, it really affected people, I think negatively in a lot of ways. Um, what are your opinions about that? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is like, as much as you can, mainstream your children into the normal classroom. How, how my parents did it, and it, I, I would think that it's even better now, um, but it was very much most of the day I was with the normal class, the mainstream class, and then maybe like an hour after lunch, I would go to a reading class. And then maybe an hour in the morning, I would go to a math class. So it wasn't like I was being shunned to the resource room. It was most of my day was here, but on a couple of the areas I struggled with, I had some private time. Don't be ashamed either to do that for your children. I think there are so many parents who don't want to put a label on their kids mm -hmm. you know labels are so bad so don't put a label on them but help them to get the help that they need so when they get older they can go to college it it starts when you're three four five so don't treat it as special ed it's hey you're just going to go to a cool reading class for an hour and then come back yeah totally um but yeah thanks cassie i like so appreciate it. yeah it was great thank yeah. you so much and you guys like seriously you can like call me you can you know use me for other things i can give you my parents contact information yeah.